very much. All right. James chapter 1 this evening is where we'll be as we continue our study through this book together. And as you're turning there, I just want to say thank you again for uh, all your hard work for this past Sunday. I had a great homecoming, great turnout. And I think, um, I think one, of the, one of the council we had is about 225 or so folks that were here. And uh, just thankful for that and all that God did. And thank you for showing out and showing, showing up and showing out with the food prep. Goodness, there was so much food. But I uh, appreciate it so very much, all your hard work. And uh, just looking forward to all God has in store for us in the coming, coming weeks, months, and years together as we move forward serving the King of kings and Lord of lords together. James chapter 1 is where we'll be and primarily we'll be in verse 26 and 27 this, this evening. But as we come to it and just before we read our text tonight, just keep in mind that James is writing to Jewish believers who largely have been scattered from their homes. Uh, primarily due to the persecution that's been taking place at this time period in the first century from the religious and political crowd of the day. And so the audience to whom James is writing are people, keep in mind, are people who are hurting, struggling, and absolutely confused. But James knows this. He, uh, he knows what's going on in our hearts and minds. He knows, he knows what's going on in our lives. And so he writes to instruct them and encourage them. And uh, he does so not necessarily by um, being mamby-pamby with them. Look, as we get closer here, we'll, he's going to knock them right in the teeth. And uh, he ain't pulling no punches, all right? But, uh, but he's doing so, no doubt, of a heart of love to instruct and help these dear people. Because even when we go through difficult days, we can still get out of sorts, can we not? Yes, I got one amen. All right. One of them's just like me. Thank you. Okay. We get out of sorts sometimes when things don't go our way. Well, listen, no doubt they were the same. And so he has to get down to nitty-gritty of some of these things, and, but he writes to instruct them and encourage them. And as we come to our text this evening, keep all that in mind, all right? And I think it will do us good as well just to do a quick rehash of what we looked at uh, last Wednesday because it ties into our text tonight, all right? Keep in mind, last Wednesday as we came to the end of chapter number 1, we saw the great importance of God's Word in our, in our lives. And from that message, we noticed three things. The first one was this. When it comes to God's Word, we need to accept it, meaning we should receive the Word of God. We, we should take it to heart. We should learn it and apply it to our lives. We all should be learners when it comes to God's Word. Who would agree? One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten. Great. Okay. At least ten of us say yes to this, all right? And I believe everybody would say a hearty amen to that. We all need to be learners of the Word of God, but we don't just need to stop there. We need to go on to the next step and do this. Not only accept the Word of God, but adhere to the Word of God, meaning this. We need to obey God's Word. We need to be doers of the Word and not hearers only, because if we're only learners, if we're only hearers, if we only learn it like a textbook and don't do what it says, then the only person we are deceiving is ourselves. Uh, listen, if we don't do what the Bible tells us to do, then here's what we're really doing. We're just acting. We're just pretending. We're just putting on a show. We're just playing church. We're just playing, listen, we're just playing religion. And that's the word I want to look at this evening. So look, in your, look at your Bibles this evening. At the end is James chapter 1. And I'll start in verse 21, but primarily going to be in verse 26 and 27. Look at it together. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. 
But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, continueth therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Our fathers, we look again to your word this evening. I pray that you to help us to understand it. Help us to have open hearts, open, open eyes, Lord. Help us to have ears to hear what you have for us tonight. Help us, I pray, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but in those last two verses, uh, James hits with this one word three different times. It's the word of religion. Look at it again, verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. If you are taking notes this evening, I would like to quickly consider this title, A Pure Religion, all right? A Pure Religion. So let's dive into it this evening. And number one, I want to see this when it comes to religion, pure religion, is what does it mean? What does this mean? What does having pure religion mean? Well, notice the word religion here in the text has to do with this. All right, The word religion itself has to do with this. It has to do with an outward practice. It's more of an external religious ritual, ceremony, or routine. And this would be the word that Paul would use to describe his former life as a zealous Pharisee as he was giving his testimony to King Agrippa talking about what he was and what he did. In Acts 26, and verse 4 through 5, Paul said this in his testimony to King Agrippa. He said, My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation in Jerusalem, know, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that, after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Uh, Paul was saying to King Agrippa that he lived a strict, pharisaical Life, meaning he would have dotted every I, he would have crossed every T. And so, anytime anyone knew of Saul before he was Paul, everyone knew him to be a straight up Pharisee because of his religious rituals, because of his rules he followed, the routines he would strictly adhere to, is all seen in his life. So just a quick, simple, easy definition when it comes to the word religion is this. It's the external rituals and routines, all right? Now, for many people, though, and especially us as Baptists, and especially independent Baptists, the word religion can make us a little uncomfortable, can it not? And the reason for that many times, I think, is because there's many other denominations or religious institutions or even so-called churches that would consider themselves religious in nature 
And the, wor- the world would take all those institutions and denominations and other churches that we would not hold hands with, but yet they would lump us all together in the same clay and put us into the exact same category. But we know, we know that we are not all the same. We know that other churches and other denominations that uh, sometimes in their religion or in their religious activities, the religious rituals, if you will, that they have and that they do, it's from doing those rituals that they hope to find salvation. Uh, meaning if they follow a religious creed, if they do religious works, if they follow religious routines and acts, then they hope to find favor with God. And then hopefully their religiousness, by all that, they'll make it to heaven one day. But we know that's not how it works. We know that's not true salvation because no amount of works or rituals will ever get anyone into heaven. The Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should bow. So sometimes I think, The confusion when it comes to religion is this, is when, listen, when we equate religion with salvation, it ain't the same. It is not the same at all. Being religious is not the same as being saved. Being religious is not the same as being born again. Listen, salvation is not found in a certain religion. It's not found in a certain uh, set of rules or routines. It's not even found in a church. Salvation is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. That's where our salvation is because only Christ has provided salvation for the whole world. He alone died for you. He alone was buried for you. He alone was ro- rose again from the grave for you. He alone provided salvation. Therefore, as the Bible says, salvation is of the Lord. So just so you know, the very get-go here. When we speak of religion, we see this word here in our text. When we, when we see that, when we speak of it, and we look at pure religion here, we're not equating this to salvation, all right? So just, just know that. Don't, don't get mixed up there. That's not what it's talking about. So what does it mean then? What does pure religion mean? Well, we've already established a little bit of what the word itself, religion at least, what that word itself means. But what does pure mean? Well, pure here, it simply means this. It means clean. It means clean and clean from a corrupt desire. And the only way to truly be clean in a spiritual sense is to be saved, is to be born again. Because, listen, again, it's through the red royal blood of Christ that can take a black-hearted sinner and make that heart white as snow. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that can make us pure, spiritually speaking. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. And so pure religion would be a service to the Lord because of being saved, not in order to be saved, all right? I like what one commentator said. He said, such things as attending church services and activities 
and doing volunteer work and following various rituals and ceremonies and even saying prayers and having even the right theology have no spiritual value in themselves apart, listen, apart from true saving faith and honorable motives to glorify the Lord. Trusting in those things, again, pointing back to rituals and religion, trusting in those things to please God and to receive His blessing are deceptive and vain. So don't let the the word religion here as we see it, don't let it scare you. It's a Bible word after all, but just make sure it's the right kind. Make sure it's clean, make sure it's pure, make sure the service to the Lord comes from a right heart and from the right motive. All right, that's point number one. Point number two, I only got two points tonight. I'm going pretty quick, but I got three points under point number two, all right? So point number two, though. So if pure religion is something that really it can be seen, we see that clearly from text. If it's something that can be seen, the question needs to be asked, well, how can it be? How can it be seen? All right, let's look at it. Point number two is how is it seen? All right, look at verse 26 again. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the first way we can see here how pure religion can be seen is this, number one, through our speech. Again, look at verse number uh, 26. As James writes, he says, If any man, meaning anyone, not just man as in male, anyone, any person, if any man among you, meaning among the believers, among the church, seem to be religious and bridleth not his, what's that next word? Tongue. It's interesting as you read the book of James, as you read through it, James has a lot to say about our tongues. He has a lot to say about our speech. Has a lot to say about how we talk and how we communicate verbally. For he hits still on this subject in every chapter of this book that he writes, except for the last one. And he even gives an entire chapter to the tongue itself. He has a lot to say. So as James is writing, evidently at this time, their speech and their tongue was a major problem with the believers in the first century. And it appears if you've lived for any amount of time at all in the 21st century, not much has changed. Either amen or oh me, all right? But one's one or the other, okay? Uh, listen, we ha- there's, a, there's a problem sometimes with believers and people in general, even with believers, those that know Jesus as their Savior, it can be a problem with their tongue and with their speech. You know, we as humans, we do a lot of talking throughout the day. Some more than others, but still, a lot of talking throughout, throughout the day. It is said that on average, a person will speak some 18,000 words in one single day. Oh, which, if you were writing those words down, that is enough for a 54-page book. Which means if in an average year, if you were to write those uh, words down in a book, an individual would talk enough to have written 66 books if that book is at least 800 pages. It's a lot of writing if you didn't know, all right? Uh, it, is also, it is also said on average, if you add all that up in over one, uh, one lifespan of speaking, that means that they speak one-fifth of the time they are alive. So 20% of your life is done talking. <laughs> we talk a lot. 
Some of us more than others. We talk a lot. But how do you talk? How's your speech been, been lately? You know, the wisest man, Solomon, of course, outside of Lord Jesus. We know he's the wisest, of course. But the wisest man to, to, to ever live wrote these words. In Proverbs 4 and 23 and 24. He said, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. As Solomon was writing these words to his son, he's basically saying this. He is saying, son, be careful what you say. He is saying, boy, you better watch your mouth. Anybody ever said that to your kids? Has your parents ever said that to you? Both hands up. All right, yes. Uh, we've probably said it. We've probably heard it. Ain't no doubt about it. You better watch your mouth. But why did Solomon say that to his son? Because Solomon knows something. What you say matters. And how you say it matters. Our speech does matter. Of course, we've talked about this phrase before. That the phrase of sticks and stones may break our bones. But words never hurt me. Yeah, I know. We know the phrase, we, we've been taught that even as a young age, and I understand what they're teaching, trying to help us to rise above words and, and help us to be stronger than just a mere word, but the fact remains that words still matter, and it's not always going to be the case. They do hurt from time to time, especially considering the source. They can hurt from time to time, because listen, out of, the, out of our mouths can come words that are helpful, and out of our mouths can come words that are hurtful. Even Pastor James will later on write these words in James chapter 3 and verse 6 through 10. He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So understand, our words can do more damage than we can ever imagine. They can cut deeper than we can ever have, have dreamed up. And those cuts, those wounds from our words, they can last a long time. Again, Solomon write these words in Proverbs 18, 7 through 8. He says, A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. He said the innermost part, meaning the deepest place they could ever go into someone's life, can reach there. But what reaches the innermost part? Your words. Be careful. What we say. You know, our words, our speech, they can tell on us. Do you know that? You don't have to have somebody tattletale on you. You tattletale on yourself sometimes when you talk. Do you know that? And I can say the same thing about me. Our words can tell on us. And even Jesus looked at the Pharisees one day and said, said those words along, those, along that line. When he said this in Matthew 12, 34, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As the old farmers would say, what, what's, in the, what's in the well comes out in the bucket. It's the same thing. What is in your heart will eventually come out in your mouth. And when it comes to pure religion, 
when it comes to right, right religion, when it comes to clean religion, what is heard from our mouths? I understand the tongue is not the only indicator of the spirituality, if I can say it that way, of our hearts, but it's, it's a pretty good, reliable one, I'm telling you. It really can be. Because understand, if the tongue is not controlled by God, then that could be a great indication that our heart is not either. Amen or oh me. Listen, I've been saying oh me a lot today. Because it's true. The tongue is not controlled by God. It could be a great indication that our heart is not either. So be careful what you say. It may reveal if your religion is pure or not. In Matthew 12, 35, a good, good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So how is it seen? It's seen our speech, heard in our speech. How else can we see pure religion? All right, this way, number two, in our service. Look at verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Uh, this word here in verse 27, visit, it means more than just dropping by someone's house to have a cup of coffee. It means more than just dropping by for, for a chat or just to see someone. It carries more uh, of an idea than just that. It carries along the idea as well of caring for deeply with compassion, caring for someone or helping others in whatever way is, way is needed. And a good, this good word here is used several times in the New Testament of the Lord and of God visiting, caring with compassion, visiting his people in order to help, strengthen, and encourage them. Let me read a few of those texts to you, all right? The Bible says in Luke chapter number 1, Verse 67 through 68, and it says this, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Again, in Luke seven sixteen, And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and, the, and that God hath visited his people. Uh, they made that great statement right after Jesus raised the boy uh, who, at Nain who had died as a funeral procession from that city. And he raised that boy from the dead. God had visited their people. He gave them courage, strength, and comfort. Again, the Bible says in Acts 15, 14, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. James was making his great statement at the Jerusalem Council. Again, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 through 36, For I was in hunger, Jesus speaking, and he gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and, naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Listen, this word visit here is more than just being in someone's present, presence, though it does implicate that, but it goes beyond just being in someone's presence. It goes to the taking tender care of someone in their great need. And the main ones that James is pointing to here as he's talking about visiting, caring for, serving, were these individuals. Individuals that could not take care of you back, if that makes sense. Admitting their care was not, could not be reciprocated. They, if you gave to them, they couldn't give back to you. He's talking about these individuals here. Look at it with me. Verse, 20, uh, verse 27, 
pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows. So he's speaking of orphans and widows here. You see, during this time in history, generally speaking, the orphans and widows were some of the most uh, needy individuals in the early church, and especially in the first century. You see, these were the ones who were at the very mercy of others. Because understand, there was no life insurance policy that they had back then if your spouse was to pass, all right? If I, if I drop dead tonight, Chris is taken care of. I tell her, tell her that often. Maybe I need to stop telling her that. Maybe she won't. Anyway, but anyways, but she'll be taken care of, all right? And as well, with, with, with the, back this time as well, there was no where, uh, welfare programs that would ste- step in and take care of the orphans. And even, even for orphans and widows, the, the jobs at this time were very scarce as well. There, there wasn't a whole lot as far as, as, far as uh, business and other things that they can go out and do to earn and make money. So these people, the, 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 the widows and orphans at this time, those who were widows indeed, these folks were some of the most needy people at this time. But who was going to help them? Who, who was going to reach out and step in and, and help these people? Well, James says it should be those of pure religion. Speaking to believers, speaking to the church and this help. This care, this love, this visiting, uh, this taking care of even the most needy at the time would reveal to others outside of the church a true, pure, clean, real religion. Which, by the way, did you know, just on a side note, that the first uh, contention point when it came to the church from those outside the church was along these lines. In Acts chapter number 6, the Grecians had a, uh, they were murmuring against the Hebrews, against the church, because of their neglect of the widows. As you read on in Acts chapter number 6, um, I'm going to read it. i got a little time. Let me read it. Uh, let's just go there. Okay, uh, you don't have to go there. Let me read it for you. Okay, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. And in those days when a number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians. This was the Greeks, all right, uh, pointing to like lost lost world, lost pagans, the Grecians, the Greeks, against the Hebrews because their widows, the Hebrews, the churches, all right, their widows were neglected in a daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look yet among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God increased, and a number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So here's what happened. At this time, the Greeks were murmuring and complaining about these new believers not taking care of their own, especially the neediest of them all, the widows and even the orphans, but in context, the widows. But after they saw the pure, real, clean, true religion, after they saw them begin to take care of those in real need, those murmuring people became believers themselves. Why? They saw pure religion. Understand, love for others and a 
especially for our own, especially for the household of faith, especially for the, for the brethren, is the most visible manifestation of salvation, if I, if I can say it that way. Here's what Jesus said. In John chapter 13, verse 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, love is not just said, folks. It is shown. Amen. <laughs> you don't love in word only, but in word and deed. It is shown. But I wonder, can the world see our pure religion and how we speak to one another and how we serve one another? You know, we know when we say, when we say, if there's anything we can try to do to help you, we're not just saying that. We really mean it. We want to try to help people. We do. We want to try to help people and serve. But can the people see, not just, not just pastor, youth pastor, deacon, Sunday school teachers serving, but I'm talking about the whole body of believers, Christians serving, loving, and how we speak. Can they see pure religion? And lastly, can they see it in our number three, lastly? And I'll do this quickly. In our separation. Again, look at verse 27. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. That's service. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's separation. Now the word here, the word keep here, it means to attend to carefully. To meticulously guard. But what are we to guard from? What are we to attend to carefully to keep on guard from what well, he says to be unspotted from the world. Now, when James says this, some folks get the idea that James is talking about sinning no more or being uh, uh, sinless or having some kind of sinless perfection. Listen, there's only one person who ever walked this earth that was perfect and sinless. That was Jesus, and you ain't him, all right? So you can't be perfect, you can't be sinless. So I don't think that's what he's getting at here. Or rather, as he is talking about being unspotted from the world. Meaning keeping ourselves uh, unspotted or be, being not conformed to this world. Meaning this society that is godless. That's what he's talking about. A world that is godless. A society that is godless. A society that is without God. Because listen, it is this world in which we live that Satan is the God of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4. He is the God of this world. And the people that are lost are the children of this world. You can see that in Luke 16, 8, as well as Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number, number 3. So that is who is of this system. That is who is running this system. That is a godless system, by the way. And we who are saved, we are not to be part of that. Now, it does not mean that we cannot work and have jobs and do business and take care of those things. That's not what I was talking about, all right? He's not saying that. But we're not to be part of the society as far as the godless part of the society. No, no, no. We're to be different. We're to be separated. Why? Because we have a different God and we are destined for a different world. John put it this way in 1 John 2 and verse 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, 
was of the world. So listen, while we are here, I believe James is telling us and teaching us and helping us to help pure religion is to keep ourselves unconformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like, um, anybody like used to play with Play-Doh? Anybody? Yeah. I, I was really good at making snakes and worms. I could do that all day long. All right. That's about it. But you would make something out of Play-Doh. You would conform that just ball that you got out of that little can, a uh, little, little, little bucket there into what you wanted it to be. That's the idea of being conformed. This world wants and has an image it wants you to be conformed to, makes you out to what it wants you to be. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to be different. We saw it when we looked in 1 Peter, when Peter says, Be ye holy, for I am holy, as he is quoting from the Old Testament. And of course, speaking of the Lord, God wants us to be different. He wants us to be separated. And that is A-OK, to be separate from the world and separate to the Lord. Meet for the Master's use. It's okay to be separate. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Again, how do we do that, though? The question goes to, well, I hear you. It's good to be separate, but how do we do that? Well, again, it's all connected. We do that through, again, the Word of God. Again, in verse 22, James 1, verse 22, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving your own Sales. Actually, I should start in verse 21. I'm sorry. Look at it. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a doer of the word, not a, or if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, go his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, is empty, but pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. So if we want to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, we always got to go back to the Word of God. Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Go back to the Word. I can't stress it enough. Get back to the Word of God. So as we consider pure, pure religion this evening, I want to ask this simple question. We'll be done. Can others see that in us, in our speech, in our service, and yes, even in our separation? Because listen, it can make a difference in someone's life. Just as it made a difference in those Grecians and others around them, even those of the priests of the day, in Acts chapter 6, it made a difference as they saw them in their pure 